Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Encouraging Word. So um, we're just thankful and happy to have you guys, everyone, join us again for uh, uh, another podcast. And we're going to be continuing our series um, in First John. So the last, our last week um, podcast was First John chapter 1. Um, now we're doing First John chapter 2. So um, don't think that would surprise anyone, but... Um, this series has been very um, insightful for me and and for Paul. Um, you want to speak for yourself? <laughs> well, uh, it has been very insightful for me. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we're one chapter in, so I, I right, expect it to only get better as, as we go on. That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to get much better. I, I mean, I don't want to ruin the end for you, but... Um, we'll just say Jesus wins. So, um, <laughs> I think you have the wrong John book. Oh, yeah, that's true. Do you remember we're doing first, first, John? yeah, it's first John, first. That's, but yeah. Jesus is still in the end of the end of first John, so and he still wins, yeah. yes, he always somehow, wins. Right. yes, yeah. I'll double check while you're talking, and I'm gonna make a <laughs> fact check you on that, exactly. Thanks, Paul. Anyways, back to regular schedule programming. Um, we're uh, um, so we're going to actually do a little bit different thing than our fit, sec- fit segment. Funny, interesting, thought-provoking. Um, we're going to do Olympics. So last week was the Olympics, and it's just wrapped up. And uh, we thought it would be good to just um, talk about it. We're going to answer two questions. Um, I'm going to start with you, Paul. So be ready. Ooh. Olympics questions are going to be what was most interesting and what was like what event was most interesting and what event is perhaps the weirdest event um, (laughs) that you saw or have heard of in the olympics sure sure um well let me uh process the most interesting that's the most difficult because i i i very quickly have an answer to the weirdest or most uh confusing maybe i would say for me i uh, we were just well, the, the good thing is with whatever cable uh, programming or whatever we have in our house we have three different channels we can flip right. around and I think and it's only out. shown on NBC though they okay. own all the rights so it's probably different different NBC affiliates yeah yeah uh, good to be NBC right now <laughs> right. but uh, one of the uh, things we were watching for a while until I looked at Quinn and said, why are we watching this one? Uh, it was called Greco-Roman oh, yeah. Wrestling. And, you know, I, I've, I've never wrestled uh, for, for school or anything or competitively. And <clears throat> I, I think I can understand the intrigue of, of the sport. But this in particular, this form of wrestling involved, you know, two people just standing and facing each other in this circle and I guess the the unique thing about Greco-Roman wrestling, this is all just you know from oh, five minutes of exposure. Makes you want to look it up. Yeah, yeah, you can fact check me right. um, on this one too. But but you're not allowed to uh, reach below the waist um, and you know grab at somebody's feet or, or try and trip them up or anything. It's all um, basically sparring with the hands and mm. the arms. So. It, it was, you know, maybe a minute, two minutes at a time, and then a bell would ring, and then they'd do it again for a minute or two, and then a bell would ring, and they'd get a break, and they would, would just kind of stand there looking yeah, at each other, almost look like swatting at each other, like just grabbing at each other's arms. And <laughs> sometimes they would pull the other person towards them. Sometimes they'd try and push them backwards across the line. And um, it was, 
I, I just I, I just didn't understand the mm-hmm. fascination and standing there and just kind of you know swatting around and and grabbing at people's arms for, <laughs> you know, for, for but uh, clearly there are people who are passionate about it because they've invested yep. much of their lives into it to reach the Olympic stage so I, I guess I'll have to uh, maybe try it again and not be too quick to judge. Uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, yeah, it was definitely the the least um, exciting experience, but yeah, uh, the most exciting. Uh, I've seen some pretty cool things flipping different channels. I gotta say, I'll, I'll go with uh, I'm gonna go with badminton because I think I love the sports one that that you never see, you're never exposed to anywhere else, uh, mm-hmm. and and especially sports that. Um, you know, a lot of people have played, and, and you would never for a second think that this would ever be an Olympic sport. Like, you know, everybody and their grandma thinks that they can play badminton because all you can do is swat at the <laughs> thing and stays in the air for four minutes, and you have time to, you know, stand underneath it and get yourself poised. And uh, so, my family actually plays badminton on, on the uh, tennis wow. courts near us. We have a glow in the dark uh, party, so we can wow. play all day and all night, you know, and sometimes <laughs> we almost look like we know what we're doing. But uh, watching the Olympics um, and seeing them play badminton, pretty exciting. They, they're a little bit more intense and <laughs> a little bit uh, better yeah. than we are. Do they have glow-in-the-dark ones? Too? I haven't seen them the do Olympics. nighttime uh, badminton yeah. yet. Maybe yeah. they don't know that's a thing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, having a, a birdie that glows in the dark only gets you so far. Like right. when you can't see your, your doubles partner right. or you can't see the out-of-bounds line, yeah. there are some bad things that can still happen, even if you can see the birdie really well. They uh, should make it like, have you ever done glow-in-the-dark bowling? Yeah, that's, like that's uh, what they should oh, do. lunar yeah. bowling, yeah, I think yeah, they call yeah. it. Yeah, that's what they should do with badminton. That could be the new American fad. <laughs> you could have like badminton courts all lined up in a row, and all but, these people out will play some right. some uh, nice you know hopping music in the background. <laughs> That'd be. Really, I don't know what kind of music goes with badminton, but I'm sure they would create something like that. I think uh, birding music, <laughs> like birds, because they're birds. Oh my god! <laughs> like birds chirping. <laughs> something um, to do with birds. Yeah, yeah. We want to uh, just throw out there that just forgive us if our jokes aren't funny and you're not laughing. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> I think that probably goes without saying by now. Right. But yeah, we better get to yours. Oh yeah, we better get why. So, um, my two would be. Um, the most interesting one is definitely, I would say, ping pong. Mm. Like, there's a lot of them, but ping pong, I think, is just fascinating because they're taking this little ball. And if anyone's seen it, you should really just look it up on uh, look it up on YouTube. You have the the regular ping pong table, but there's like 50 yards of space on either side it's because people run so far from the table when they're hitting the ball back and forth, and it's absolutely amazing. It's the most intense thing I've ever seen, and um, yeah, it's and I've played ping pong with people who are not Olympic good, but okay, and I can't like I'm already amazed by that, and then seeing the Olympic athletes, I'm just like I I don't know how they're doing it. It's like defying gravity somehow, mm. um, and then I think um, probably um, the weirdest one. Uh, that's a good question probably the weirdest one but it's also really interesting is maybe the trampolining um the ah. trampoline super high um incredibly high and doing backflips and all sorts of spins and stuff i just think that it's weird that they i didn't know they make trampolines that large but and also 
um, is just absolutely so dangerous <laughs> that um, I, I don't know how you build up the courage to, to do that. So, Do you think the, the Olympic trampoliners got their start at uh, one of those uh, trampolining parks, you know, yeah. in their local... <laughs> I can't right, even think right. of what ours is called. Yeah, in, in West one of those trips. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what. Yeah, there's one right by my house. Right yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah, there's one down by by your house, too. Yeah. I, you That's know, funny. I, I imagine it had to start somewhere. Yeah. Like, at yeah. some point, you got to fall in love with trampolines right. and say, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I right. want to be a, a trampoliner. <laughs> Maybe there's, like people who sit at those trampoline parks and they're like oh that's a good kid right they're there scouting yeah scouting scouting. scouting kids yeah. wow <laughs> now i know what i want to be when i grow right. up that sounds like fun now i thought real quick we i think this would be another interesting question i think it'd be good um if there can you think of any um olympic sport that they should add like what's a funny interesting olympic sport that you would create and i thought of one typing on the key, like keyboard <laughs> computer typing, typing the fastest like words per minute mistakes all of that like who can be the fastest typer it would bring the olympics more into the 21st century if you have like speed typing or like texting like since yeah. so many people are there's yes. such Speedy textures with with the old the, the old style phones where you had to hit one button was like three letters. <laughs> yes. Or we should make them use a rotary phone yeah. where the, the thing spins. No, we're trying to bring us to the twenty first century. Oh. So, well, not, it, it, not. the Olympics is all about new experiences, you know, and, and sometimes the old is the new new. <laughs> That's true. Did that make sense? Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, what would you What would you do? Uh, it's a tough. Well, you, what you've really done oh. is you brought up the the debate as to what can and can't be right. defined a, a as sport. a sport um you know what i think would be would be good would be stick races stick races yeah what do you mean well as, have you never done a stick race like you, you put, put it in the water yeah you like, pick oh. a stick you put it in the water and whoever's stick gets yeah, to the, was, end, the <laughs> fastest wins but that doesn't take any skill for you you just put your stick in the water well but it's all about which stick you pick you gotta oh pick gosh. the one that's the perfect length and weight and then right. you gotta place it in the oh right position so that you're gonna navigate properly around yeah. the rocks and the and the logs and all that that's stuff right so stick racing that is uh yeah how do we how do we move this forward talk to the olympic oh, yeah. committee right yeah we gotta yeah we'll talk to Olympic. oh is it you thought i meant moving forward, <laughs> talking about something yeah. meaningful yeah. yeah now we need to probably move forwarded to uh um first john two. first john chapter two yeah okay so um with that transition yes we're going to <laughs> paul's gonna read um chapter two for us and then we're gonna um as we did um, with our first chapter one, we're going to break it down kind of in little segments and talk about it, uh, talk about what we gleaned from the passage. And again, I encourage everyone to get a Bible out and turn to John, John chapter two. And we're reading the NIV, ver- NIV version for anyone who's wondering. So, Actually, it is NI version. Did you ever realize that? Because NIV, the V stands for version. So oh, you were correct the first time. Oh, I and the entire world doesn't get that, but now wow. we do. Yeah. Yeah. So the NIV version of First John chapter two. Spoiler alert! I checked. Jesus does. Jesus does win in the end here. But <laughs> uh, let's let's see how. So this is chapter two. It's rather lengthy. So uh, stick with me, and uh, we'll get the the passage laid out here, and then we'll we'll uh, work our way back around and, and break it down. 
Um, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. 
Yep. <laughs> that's uh, as Paul had said earlier. That's such a it's a really really dense um, chapter. I mean, there's a lot of content here. Um, whenever Paul and I have been planning for this, we always say that we could just take one chapter, especially this chapter, and make a whole podcast out of this chapter. Right. Um, the Word of God is just the Word of God. Really, is is a beautiful thing because it. Um, I think as you listen to it, you just see all the connections that it has with all of Scripture. And you can just, everything you pull out of um, the Word of God has so much meaning to it. Um, to the point where Jesus says, every dot and every tittle word, every little word in Scripture has immense meaning and purpose. And it was, it was put there for a reason. I um, fully believe it's God's Word. So That is a... Um that's from scripture, right? What you right. just shared. Yeah. That was uh, uh, the word tittle is a, uh, um, I can't remember if it's Hebrew or Greek, but uh, yeah. it's like a punctuation right. mark. So even right. the, you know, the words, the letters, right. but even the periods <laughs> and when exactly. you dot your I, there's, right. there's meaning right. in that if it, if it comes right. uh, from the word of God. Right. It's just yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah. So what we're going to do, um, we're going to um, kind of, as we said, um, break it down to different, um, to speak about different insightful things that we have gotten from this passage and kind of using the this whole podcast the whole motivation behind the podcast is just to encourage Bible study and to encourage like in-depth Bible study um, that when we read the Word of God that we just don't go through it quickly but we take some time to delve into a little bit of the meaning mm-hmm. not just a little bit of the meaning the full trying to understand the full meaning of Scripture and what it's saying to us so and, and uh, to that end, I wonder uh, if you'd allow me to remind those who were listening in last week and, and just share with those who may be jumping on right. board with us here in Chapter 2 a bit of the context for First right. John here. This is um, written by John, one of the disciples, inner circle uh, of Jesus. Um, his purpose in writing was to reassure Christians everywhere in their faith, uh, but specifically, and you'll see this come out in this chapter even, uh, to counter false teachings, uh, false prophets, and, and false messages that were starting to work their way through the church. Um, he doesn't write specifically for any one church, uh, but he intended his message to be uh, distributed by letter amongst uh, a number of different, um, uh, primarily Gentile congregations, uh, which is who was his initial audience. Uh, he, he was writing between 85 and 90 AD, so we're talking, you know, um, 55, 60 years after Jesus uh, ascends back into heaven. And um, perhaps uh, we talked about this some last, last week, how uh, you know, many, if not all, of the other disciples and a lot of the people who had uh, directly witnessed Jesus' ministry had already passed. So this is mm-hmm. a new generation of followers of Jesus. So John is... A member of the old guard and, and kind of bringing this new generation into the loop and sharing his insights and his uh, testimony everything he witnessed uh, before time is up uh, for him to do that um, this is also written after 70 a.d when jerusalem was destroyed and christians have been scattered all around the roman empire so it's it's uh, there's, they're not really centrally located there's there's been a lot of uh um, I think the word is diaspora, which is often mm-hmm. uh, you know applied to the, the Jews, but Christians at this point have been scattered um, in many different places, uh, far and wide, 
And a lot of them, perhaps partly because of that, because they didn't have the same core, um, you know, the momentum that they had when they were all together in one group and had all of the apostles, you know, teaching and and uh, close by, uh, perhaps, but some of them had started to stray, become somewhat apathetic in their faith, uh, started to buy into some of these false messages. And uh, false teachings were, were very real, and, and some of these uh, false teachers were intent on uh, destroying what Jesus had, had built, the apostles had built um, around the, the message of the truth. So uh, John's motivation for writing. Right. Yeah, and uh, that gives us a good summary of uh, giving context to the passage or context to this book and putting it in its historical setting. So, just starting off with um, beginning in chapter two, beginning in chapter two is actually kind of a continuation of the end of chapter one. And that's just also a reminder for us, too, that when these letters were written, um, they didn't have numbers in them <laughs> and verses, so um, those are all added later on. So um, when John was writing this, he didn't think, like, oh, this is going to be chapter 2. So so you can see the continuation of thought between the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, because when he says, my dear children, I write to you so um, that you will not sin if anyone does sin they have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous one which continues as I said at the end of chapter 1 um, he talks about if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves um, if we claim we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar but that we also have um, one if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins so this is really interesting we look at chapter 9 or not chapter 9 chapter 1 verse 9 when it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And then you kind of pair that up with the beginning of chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not, um, so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin. So I think one of the, one of the big things when it comes to Christianity and sin, um, people tend to take a perspective of, and Paul talks about this in his letters, that if God's going to be forgive me of my sins and he's going to be gracious to me, then why does it matter what I do? Right? So it's like I'll just live a sinful life and then God's going to forgive me anyways, right? And what John is saying here that I believe he's saying here is that, yes, we have one who if we confess our sins, he's forgive us, he forgives us and he's faithful and he's just and he purifies us. Um, but he's writing this so that we will not sin. So it's it's not that we just have a liberty to sin, but it's that if we do sin, which we all do, which we all sin, we do have one that's an advocate for the Father for us. Um, and also, I would argue, too, in that in that debate, too, I would argue that you don't, or even, which we'll get to, John would say, then you don't really know God if you're not obeying God. So if, if you're living a sinful lifestyle, thinking, oh, I'll just be forgiven, then you don't really know God or love God if you don't have any um, care for how you live so mm. but yeah yeah my my favorite word in these first two verses I think uh, and the most important word to me as I read it is ironically the word if uh, we, mm, right. we read the verse one here mm -hmm. my dear children I write this to you so that you will not sin but if mm -hmm. if anybody does sin yeah. You know, I think uh, whether we'll, we'll acknowledge it or not, we've, all of us to some degree, have uh, even subconsciously maybe 
succumbed to sin, not just on an individual basis, but some succumbed mm. to the idea that we are sinners and right. and that you know we're gonna do the best we can, right. but you know we're somehow helpless against sin mm-hmm. and and this notion that we could ever actually conquer sin and live uh, pure and, and righteous uh, lives is not realistic. And this this chapter opens with uh, John telling us uh, that he's writing with the intention of helping people not sin, not you know just sin less, but actually not sin. Uh, but if anybody does sin, so the implication here is. John is, is setting a bar pretty high, and uh, and he's implying that it is possible to achieve that status to where we we are not um, sinning. And of course, I think John would believe that and, and agree that we are born into sin, and, and that we're we're uh, going to succumb to it realistically. Uh, that that's a thing, but um, that we have to believe, and I, I still think this is 100% true. We have to believe that we can overcome all sin and that we can at least move on towards perfection in this life um, because if we go around with an attitude that well we're, we're as long as we're uh, sinning you know less than the people around us or less than I used to or you know as long as uh, the sins that I'm giving into are, are not visible or not quote-unquote as big of a deal that everything's uh, hunky-dory but I don't think that's how John would uh, would phrase it i don't think he would agree with that at all he's he's pushing these uh, churches to strive for 100 percent righteousness and purity mm-hmm. and i think that's a concept the church today um, has kind of lost sight of or at least we pushed it to the back burner because mm-hmm. uh, we want to focus on other things you know so part of following christ uh, is 100 percent believing and striving for uh, being like him being being like the righteous one which means we ourselves are righteous and are striving to live uh, free of mm-hmm. sin and i think it's incredibly encouraging to start off a chapter like that uh, with this notion that we can achieve that and um, i think we need to take it seriously uh, but then Stephen, you're starting to transition us into this message that i think comes up repeatedly uh, from verse three and beyond, and I think uh, verse or chapter one winds up with this too. This notion that um, that if we are not living our lives the way that God intends us to, we we can't say that we believe. We can't say we're following Christ and drop the ball when it comes to acting on it and, and living it out. And I dare say, you know, John's pretty repetitive about this throughout this chapter. I think. You know, there are about a uh, half dozen times where you could uh, contrive his, his message to be just that. You know, he's telling these people over and over, guess what? You can't, you can't say it and not live it. You can't, right. you know, you right. can't profess his name and not obey. Uh, it right. just doesn't work that way. Right. And I think, you know, if we're going to take anything from this, that's a message John wants us to hear loud and right. clear. Right. Um, and I and I agree with that too. And I think living a, a sinless life is always the goal. But it's also I think it's a good reminder that you live that life in humility and grace, um, and also with empathy towards others. Because I think the temptation is always like, um, if if I can live a sinful life, you can too, and you can uh, really have a sense of. A pride and arrogance in it if you're if we're not aware that hey I, the only reason I'm able to do this is through the grace of God purely through his grace um, and purely through um, his his forgiveness and um, 
his spirit within me so um but also going to as what paul is saying um paul uh, john makes several um, claims in here so we're going to look at kind of a section between verses 3 um, to 11 looking at that section um and it's just really interesting here that john um kind of focuses on claim if anyone claims certain things so if someone says uh, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person so that's a claim someone makes a claim I know him um, and then you look again at verse 6 whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did and looking at verse 9 anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother and sister is still in the darkness so what John is doing here is that, and what we see in our own life all the time, people can claim to be Christians, but then their life does not show evidence of that. Now, I also want to say this too as well, because as human beings and every generation, we're all naturally prone to lean towards working for our salvation. So what this, and, and um, Paul talks about this in, in Galatians too, because um, Galatians, the Galatian church started to lean towards more of a work salvation. So um, Paul would say that the Galatian church or that Christians, we were saved by grace and, and we're aware of that and we accept that, that we're saved by grace, not by our own works. We're saved purely by um, faith in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness of our sins. We believe that. But what tends to happen as we continue to walk with Christ, we tend to, and it's our natural human bend, is to tend to lean towards this working for our salvation. And to be honest, every single faith out there, um, any faith out there, is, is a work salvation. I think I would make the argument that Christianity is the only salvation through um, grace, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. I would say every other religion is a work base. So it, we tend, it's our human nature to tend to work towards our salvation. Now, what, what I'm saying is that um, what tends to happen is that we try to live out this, this public persona to be a Christian. We're living it out um, in order to justify our salvation. And other, so, and, but as opposed to, okay, um, is that what we need to do is that if we claim to know him, and I think the best example is marriage. So, say for example, if Paul and I are both married and our spouses came, like if we came up to our spouses and we said, you know what, I'm going to do these lists of things for you, right? But we never speak of our love for them. Like we don't do it out of love for them. We just do it out of this list of obligation for them. Mm -hmm. And our spouses would say, are you doing this for your love or are you just doing this because you feel obligated to do it? You know what I mean? So the motivation of... Uh, John is saying here is that you do what we do um, is out of motivation of love for God. So we follow his commands, not purely because we're obligated to, but because we're such in love with God, because we claim to know him. And if we claim to know him, we want to walk with him. We want to spend time with him. We want to treat others like as he would treat them. We want to have his spirit live within us. And that is our motivation for doing um, the things that we do. Um, hopefully that all makes sense <laughs> so. yeah oh, absolutely and i think what's one of the dangers of a work uh, works-based salvation concept is a lot of people want to they want to take shortcuts and really mm -hmm. it, i suppose if salvation is based on works alone it's not a shortcut it's just mm -hmm. it's just getting out of business and saying okay I, you know if, if i want to be saved if i want to um earn my way to to heaven 
or whatever, then I, I have to check off all these boxes. I gotta, you know, I gotta give away this much money. I gotta serve people, help this many people, mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's really the extent of it. You know, you gotta you gotta accomplish this many good works, and you've earned your way in. And and Jesus takes that, flips it upside down, and says, you know, yeah, of course, um, I want you to do good i want you to serve i want you to to to, uh show acts of love and mercy um, but i don't want you to do so as the end in itself Um, Mm -hmm. i want you to i want you to do those things because uh, you first have been transformed on the inside you are uh, you know you love your wife and you serve your wife uh because you love your wife not because you're trying to check off a box Uh, so it's it's i think jesus is flipping it upside down and i think in a beautiful way that we as humans needs um to be able to be uh lifted up out of our sinful and and shallow human nature we need somebody to challenge us not just to check off boxes but to be something more Mm -hmm. than our sinful nature would have us be and that's what jesus is trying to do and john is trying to encourage his people to do here is is to fall in love with jesus and uh we fall in love with jesus by first recognizing all the ways he's fallen loved uh fallen in love and and served us and and sacrificed for us and extended us grace so we fall in love with jesus and because our hearts have changed and now out of a love for him and a love for our neighbor then we go out and we commit these these acts knowing that we're not saved because we do them uh, but we do them because we're saved and we've come to love christ and, and love others and i wonder in this particular context when um isn't you know one of the false teachings concepts that people are spreading in this time is that you know if you're saved and you hinted at this earlier Stephen, if you're if you're saved and you've accepted jesus's love and grace uh, then it doesn't matter what you do um but you know john kind of sees this he hears this he sees all his these churches kind of crumbling because they're buying into this and he's like whoa 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 <laughs> you're missing the point this does not compute you you uh you don't do um you don't avoid sin and live a righteous life because that's how you earn your your ticket to salvation you do it because that's who you are mm-hmm. um that's who you are and you do it because that's how you're wired and you're you are that person you're wired that way because you've entered into a relationship with jesus christ so to to suggest that you can go out and claim to be a christian and yet not live like it um you're contradicting yourself you know you're saying well i'm i'm uh, not living like it but i am but guess what saying that you are means that you are also going to live like it you know you, you can't have one without the other if one is true the other is also going to be true and i think john is pounding that home uh left and right here in a way that i think was especially relevant in his time but uh goodness if it's not relevant today then um you know i think i'm I'm losing it because I think there are so many people out there, myself included, who want to claim all these things and and then don't go out and live it. Um, as you were talking earlier, Steve, I recognize one of my struggles isn't that I it isn't so much. I certainly am guilty of this too, but it isn't usually necessarily that I claim uh, to be perfect, claim to be holier than, than thou or have it all together and, and then don't really bother to follow through with it. It's usually that I I realize that I'm not and I'm all too willing to just say that I'm not and then not work towards 
addressing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's easier yeah. to just, you know, lean on this right. false humidity, humility, false right. humidity. Sometimes <laughs> it's so thick you can just lean on a humility. False. But leaning on this false humility that, that says that, right. uh, yeah, you're right. I, I don't have it all together. I'm, I'm not complete. You know, I'm falling short. Um, you know, and uh, feel good just being able to say that and know that in other people's eyes, maybe I have integrity because I'm willing to admit that. But guess what? At the end of the day, it, you know, right. saying it means nothing if I'm not willing to change it, do something right. about it, try and improve right. myself and push myself harder. I think I fall right. into that trap all too often. Right. And uh, just a little bit, too, about this um, segment of verses before we move on to the next one. Um John's also continuing, this is something also to keep in mind in your Bible study, you see that John is continuing the motif of light and darkness, um, that uh, whoever claims to be in the light hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Um, and that also, in verse 8, he says, yeah, I'm writing you a new command. It's, it's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing, the true light is already shining. Um, this motif is already started in chapter 1. Um, but this this sense of light and and that God is light and love is light and obedience is light and darkness is hate darkness is um, disobedience not just disobedience but darkness is um, not walking in the ways of God not knowing God and, and sin and sin is darkness as well um, and and I just I just it's this very very simple motif um, that is true for any generation and true for um, any culture, um, this sense of light and dark. Um, this is something that we can all relate to. And how John uses this is a very simple but very profound way of speaking about um, that when we walk with God, we see differently. It changes our perspective and how we see life. It, it isn't, this is the other thing too, that our Christian faith doesn't just change how we live but it changes completely how we see the world like we just see the world or we should see the world completely different because of the light of God um, because of his love um, because of his word um, because of um, the Holy Spirit his spirit living living within us we should see the world completely differently than those who do not know Christ um, and, and John is always juxtaposing those two ideas of one who knows God and who lives for God and those who don't know God and those who are not living for God are living two different ways um, um, and, and Paul will even go as far to say in Corinthians that we're a new creature um, that God has made us new creatures so um, throughout scripture there's this um, idea that once you know God, you're completely different than the world around you, and, and, and it should be evident, and it should be seen um, by those around us. So, yeah. Any last thoughts that you have for this yeah, section? I, I love the light and darkness motif, and so I, I'm probably going to do something I'm often guilty. I, one of the things I love doing is taking these metaphors and trying to peel back uh, layers and, and just pull more and more meaning out of them. And sometimes I'm off my rocker. I'm probably guilty of <laughs> injecting meaning that was never even intended. But this is what I, I think of when I see the light and darkness. One is um, that the way it's written here, that the darkness is passing. This is verse 8. Because mm -hmm. the darkness is passing right. and the true light is already shining. Right. Um, I, I see a cause and effect relationship mm -hmm. here. The darkness doesn't disappear and pass uh, because somebody, 
you know pushes it out or somebody mm-hmm. says oh it's too dark in here we need to get the darkness out of here right. or even you know connecting back to the meaning of the metaphor i want to get rid of evil in my life so i'm just going to push mm-hmm. it out it doesn't happen the darkness isn't able to be extinguished um that's probably not the right word the darkness isn't able <laughs> to be eliminated, yeah, eliminated without the light shining without and it says here the light is already shining and and that is the cause the effect is the darkness is passing so i think darkness only passes when you bring light in uh to flush it out um one automatically leads to the other and i think uh you know this can apply to our, our practical lives as well i think so often we you know we recognize maybe our strengths and our weaknesses those things we're doing to um, to follow Christ obediently, those areas where we're kind of coming up short, and we think we can just eliminate those areas of darkness from our lives uh, just by sheer willpower or uh, want to. Um, but you know, truly, you know, so many people I've seen them fail and, and get so discouraged because they they try and eliminate a bad habit or uh, something that they're not proud of, and they do it just you know almost like cold turkey might be the right phrase or or just um is simply as trying to will themselves to get rid of this i think the best way to eliminate the darkness is 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 to bring more light into our lives and that's why as christians we can't grow we can't truly transform into disciples of christ uh just by trying to shed the bad stuff or the unhealthy or the evil stuff in our lives we have to fill that void and almost introduce first more and more and more of the light so you know reading the word more praying more bringing more people who are passionate about the light about christ around us just by bringing more light into our lives uh the darkness is going to naturally subside it's going to get pushed out um and especially if we're intentional about trying to push it out it's going to be a lot easier when there's light flooding into that space uh for the darkness to be uh eliminated and so i think yeah once again i i love uh having fun with these metaphors sometimes maybe trying to to put meaning that wasn't intended but i think that one at least for me is is powerful helpful when we look at our practical lives right yeah and i believe i believe that certainly works um so we're um paul and i want to get through all of chapter two here so um our next segment we look through is verses 12 through um 14 and i'm just going to um briefly say like a lot of the commentaries i read or even the study bible i use um sees these um dear children and fathers and young men what john is saying here is could be speaking to people on different spiritual um different different um points of their spiritual walk um that these these are kind of metaphors against talking to people in different spiritual walks of life um and that's kind of what i gather from my study um is that yeah it's it was kind of bizarre to come across this reading chapter two i I looked at the formatting in my bible i saw it was all indented and i thought oh this john's got to be quoting something from the old testament that was my first thought and then i was like no this is just some weird aside that john wrote and i i agree and came across the same stuff that this is john's way of trying to by addressing dear children, fathers, young men, children in this circular pattern. He's talking about stages of our faith development, and he's trying to address members of his audience at whatever stage they happen to be in. So I think that's what I pulled uh, from this, and I don't think we need to um, 
yeah yeah so well yeah there's some bigger stuff near here the end that we want to speak to so mm -hmm. one of the big things is is um, not loving the world so 15 through 17 that's a pretty well quoted um passage on what does it mean to not love the world and um so i, I did some study on this and um again if you're doing bible study it's always good to have like if you have a study bible have one or if you have some sort of other material that you can so scripture is by far the most important material that's really what you need but sometimes it always helps to have a commentary or study bible or some other material along with scripture that can help illuminate um, the passage for us um, but yeah do not love the world it is a pretty well-known passage actually i want to read it kind of read it and uh kind of read it we'll read it in um the message translation and i, I think it it gives a really um really good insight a different perspective of this passage so the message version says do not love the way do not love the world's ways don't love the world's goods love of the world squeezes out love for the father practically everything that goes on in the world wanting your own way wanting everything for yourself wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the father it just isolates you from him the world and all its wanting 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 is on the way out whoever but whoever does uh, what god wants is set for eternity um, so it's kind of different perspective on this passage um, when it again john is using these two ideas of the world um, and love for the world and love for God and that both cannot be together almost like when Jesus said you can't love God and money um, it's the same idea that the, the, the love that we have for God um, as Paul was saying about darkness being driven out the love that we have for the Father is going to drive out this love that we have for the world they can't mm -hmm. coexist co because they're almost polar opposites you know it's when you have for example you have two ends of a magnet they can't go together you know like the love for the world and love for God are just absolutely opposed to one another um, and they can't fit. So John's warning is against a devotion to the world system that is opposed to God. Um, and also, too, when it talks about the world, it's um, different commentaries and trans or commentaries and study Bible say it differently. But the world is I've heard explained that it's a um, a deluded realm that's enslaved to the wickedness um, as well as it's enslaved to wickedness and it's also opposed to Christ um, and it says the love of the world is an embrace of an illusion that has rejected Christ and therefore it has shown itself hostile towards God and, and when you look at every root of sin is found in the lust of the flesh the lust of eyes and the pride of life that is the root of sin um, and all those things um, bring about that sinful life that God um, that says Jesus has forgiven us for um, and that's part of the world system um, uh, Paul what what kind of things did you pull out from your yeah it's, I think you're, you're in a spot on I think uh, recognizing um, where the world is in our lives <laughs> being able to discern the difference from what is of God and what is of the world is the primary challenge here but uh, one thing I came across, you were mentioning, you know, doing some look into this, some commentaries, uh, and we don't really have time to fully peel this uh, this uh, layer back and, and investigate, but that these three things mentioned in verse 16, uh, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life, that these are three specific concepts um, that Satan uh, often leans on in, in tempting and, and trying to uh, gain control over us. In fact, these are three concepts that are present both in Satan's tempting of Eve in the Garden of Eden right. and uh, of Jesus when right. he is tempted in the wilderness immediately right. after his baptism. So uh, if you want to know what the world, uh, the things of the world look like and how they try to get uh, a hold of us, I think these three are important. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And to be able to discern for ourselves what that means and how to be on the lookout for it. Right. And the only other point I would make is is uh, how incredible it is to me to, to process. This is, this is John. He's talking about the world and its desires pass away. Whoever mm-hmm. does the will of God lives forever in all of this. Uh, these couple of verses he's trying to encourage us to live with an eternal mindset yeah. with eyes to to yeah. see as god sees and yeah. to see um, all of eternity and, and the importance of right. living in that manner and this is coming right. from a guy who personally right. um, was uh, a follower of jesus christ lived under his his ministry his tutelage witnessed the crucifixion witnessed the right. resurrection and um, he, and he's standing here as an eyewitness, saying, you know, guess what? The things of this world uh, mean absolutely right. nothing. I've I've done it. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've I've known Jesus Christ in in the flesh, and um, living for things of this world is is pointless. Uh, we have so much uh, that we're meant to live for, and right. uh, his encouragement to me, especially coming right. from who it is and and what he saw and experienced, is especially powerful. Right. And also, I want to say quickly, too, that um, so there's a difference between um, to not love the world or anything in the world and loving the world in the sense that, as John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? So <laughs> there's a difference between, like, loving, like, our neighbor, like, loving them towards Christ, give like, sacrifice for them, giving to them, like, talking to them and listening to them and treating them with love and respect because they're made in the image of God there's a difference between that and like participating in a lifestyle that's opposed to that of God and loving the worldly lifestyle if that makes sense so for example it's like say you have a neighbor um, they life they live like you know they're not a Christian they're doing things opposed to God's word but you you see them cutting their grass and you go out there and you talk to them you chat you have a good time but it's like if they invite you to do something that you know that scripture is not like this is i know this is not the way of god you say you know what man i love talking to you but i'm not going to participate in this because this is why my love for god is yada 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 right so like you do it in a, in a sense of a loving and kind and gentle way say hey i'm not going to participate in that because of my faith means so much to me but at the same time you show love to that neighbor like if they need help if 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 they for simple example they need sugar or something like you know like you give you help them you give them they know that you care right um so there's a difference between like jesus christ saying like hey we need people to go out into the fields because it's ripe and we need people to share christ as opposed to like hey we need there's a difference between that and actually living like the world so um just want to throw that out there so it isn't, isn't like a parent saying you know do what i say not what i do right. <laughs> god's telling us <laughs> right. don't love the world <laughs> uh, but god so loved the world right you know yeah, yeah exactly yeah so there's the, there's the whole 
evangelistic piece and then the lifestyle yeah. piece. I liked your reference to you know those neighbors who always come asking for a cup of sugar. <laughs> I don't know that really happens. It's always anymore. the go-to right. you know illustration. <laughs> exactly. But when have you ever had a neighbor come and ask uh, yeah, I, for a cup of sugar? Never, you know, I guess it's just what you say to encompass a lot of. I guess I never had a neighbor come to me for for anything. Anything. Maybe you're not uh, very right, uh, approachable, Stephen. Yeah, maybe there's maybe there's a look issue into there. that. All right, so, so now we want to look real quickly here, looking to the about to the end of the chapter. Yep. And, and again, like Paul and I said earlier, let me just so much content here. That are my apology, our apologies that we cannot get to all of it. But this is also is our way of encouraging you. Uh, all of our listeners um, to also dive in themselves. Mm -hmm. So here, going kind of going off what Paul said, um, so in chapter 18, it says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. So the big word here is Antichrist. Yikes. Um, yeah, yikes. <laughs> and, and really, Paul kind of defines it for us. Um, he says Antichrist um, it's really anything that is opposed to Christ or to John, right? Or John, sorry. Because you yeah, said Paul, yeah, and I was no. like, did I defy? Because the Apostle <laughs> yeah. Paul is not even yeah. right. Not, not Paul. I, I know what you're doing. Anytime right. I read a, a book, an Old Testament book, past the Gospels, yeah. I just, in my mind, I'm convinced Paul wrote it because exactly. he wrote everything. Yeah. That's sorry, right. continue. But yeah, so it's it's anything opposed to Christ yeah. is what an Antichrist is. So um, that's to say that it's not. So there's, um, so looking at verse 22, it says, whoever's a liar, it's, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is a Christ. Such a person is an antichrist. So it, it's things that are opposed to Christ. It's not, mm -hmm. there's a difference between those things and people who are opposed to Christ and the antichrist that is predicted in Revelations, um, the difference there. Um, and one thing I want to say real quickly too, as Paul hinted to about the world passing away. So I like where he says, dear children, this is the last hour. And you're like, what do you mean this is the last hour, right? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there are many more hours after this letter is written. Mm -hmm. So he's thinking in the cosmic, huge cosmic viewpoint. So imagine like this, the world is billions of years old or even there's arguing about how old the world is, the universe is, regardless of what you think this time of hu humanity on earth is a small time um and i love second peter um chapter 3 verse 8 where it says to the lord a day is like a thousand years so imagine like if you think of the birth of christ till now to god that's like two days you know it's like, <laughs> god's right. like oh yeah two days have passed since, pretty busy days since the birth right yeah. since the birth of my son so like it's just the whole concept of time from a cosmic perspective is a lot smaller and also thinking from God's perspective that he sees things and sees a perspective that's way beyond our own. Um, so I love that, that we're in the last hour. So since the moment of Christ's resurrection, we've always been in the last days. Um, not just then, but even now we're always will be in the last days because it's, again, looking from the cosmic perspective, we're closer now to the end than we ever were before. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it speaks to the nature of our relationship with God that it's it changed when we went when obviously when Christ died on the cross and was resurrected, the nature of our relationship with God and truly our purpose in this world changed. Right. It was transformed overnight when that happened and, and John is 
I think to his uh, audience here uh, early in that new hour, that new phase of our relationship and the and with God and and the state of humanity, all of a sudden has cha- transformed. He's trying to emphasize uh, to his audience, uh, to his followers. Guess what? You know there was a, a time only. 50, 60 years ago, when all of this was irrelevant, we were living in a different time period under different rules. The old, uh, we even talk in our, our communion liturgy about the old covenant and the new covenant. This is the new covenant. This is a, a new relationship that we have with Christ, a new purpose uh, that we're called to with totally new rules. And we're living in a time of the new covenant. Trust me, friends, we're blessed to live in a time of the new covenants of, of the last hours. And, um, you know, I, I think what Stephen and I are, are agreeing to and saying here is this is not meant to be taken literally, although there were some uh, who lived in the New Testament time period and the early church who did think that Jesus was going to return uh, in a couple of days. <laughs> and uh, there was some confusion about that. But um, I think the important piece for us nowadays, when I read this, we're, you know, we're in the last hours or the final days, I you know, try to understand that that was not intended to be taken literally but I also remind myself that uh, it should inject in me a sense of urgency you know that there is uh, a need to really live my life in a focused and intentional way because it is the the, the last days and that um, folks are uh, living in a, a world in which Jesus has come and extended grace but also there's this level of accountability and it's our job to help uh, bring people into the knowledge of both um, that they you know they need to know and follow Christ uh, as their Lord and Savior um, and if they have the opportunity and they reject it um, that there is accountability for that as well and I think Antichrist here it's interesting that John is the author of both this and Revelation and ultimately right. he's the one yeah, that's right. talking about right. the Antichrist a couple books later right. um, but here I think as Stephen was saying it's meant to, to refer to folks um, and I don't think it's just people who haven't heard about Jesus and those yeah. haven't embraced him or yeah. uh, even people who are kind of mulling it over, maybe aren't all in. I think there was some very um, intentional sabotage going on here where some false prophets uh, were right. spreading some pretty ugly messages just out of spite um, or because right. their, you know, their souls were darkened in one way or another. And I think uh, the important piece, again, for us is in today's world to be able to discern um how to you know how do we recognize when the darkness is creeping in when these false messages are starting to infiltrate our own lives our own minds and hearts uh, to be able to recognize the difference between somebody who hasn't uh, embraced Christ yet, uh, maybe, or doesn't quite understand, and somebody who is uh, intending evil and intending to sway uh, people um, against Christ and is intending intending to stir up trouble. Because uh, in the rules about uh, church policy and stuff in the early church, that was the pretty essentially the... Uh, maybe not literally, but the one unforgivable sin I would say is is to be the person who is trying to lead others astray and is doing things to undermine the authority of the gospel. And we encounter a lot of false messages in this world and even within the church. And I think we have to be discerning uh, about those. Um, but we especially have to be on the lookout for those uh, that are coming from folks who are uh, whose hearts are darkened one way or another, and, and they're trying to lead us astray uh, in a way that's going to be destructive rather than building up. 
Uh, so a lot to lot to be gained from this. A lot more we could unpack. Um, if, you know, if my tummy wasn't rumbling, or no, I'm just kidding. We we would go on forever, uh, despite our own physical needs. But uh, we know you have other things to get to. So. Uh, the last couple of verses kind of signing off, right, Stephen, reiterating um, the uh, importance of following Christ, not just saying you do. Right. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Also, just quickly, too, when you look at my um, love where it says, in the Son, in the Father, in verse 20, 24, um, in verse 27, it says, anointing you received from him remains in you. And then... Um, also verse 28 continue in him and I, I just love that in Christ in him Paul does the same thing in his letters like we're not just we're always in Christ we're in him we're a part of him we're with him this intimacy I love um, that John and that's done throughout the scriptures so yeah um, hopefully um, everyone's listened to um, hopefully you've gotten this far if you've gotten this far thank you so much for committing to um, this podcast and uh, listening to the study and we have a lot more material to come um, again John is just such a dense first John is a dense dense book and um, I love it and hopefully you love it as well I'm going to set you on a journey in him to know more about his word. So we encourage everyone to make it out in person in service and we can see you and speak to you face to face. Thank you for all the um, people who have um, spoken to us about the podcast and have benefited from it. Thank you so much. And um, we'll talk to everyone again soon.